Last week we talked about how, you know, the resurrection, the, the death, the burial of resurrection of Jesus Christ brought restoration back to those things in which once were ours. It brought dominion back. It brought relationship back. And uh, today I want to talk about, and my message is entitled, Go the Distance, and it's more important now than it's ever been before. If you would, turn with me uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to just talk for a moment again just about the idea of that resurrection, because without the resurrection, we have no New Testament church. Amen? Because of the resurrection, we do. And so, uh, and when we look at uh, multiple instances throughout the Bible, the reason the church has moved to the place it's been is because of several people who have made themselves available. And through their availability, God has uh, uh, opened up a door to them to touch a segment, touch a population, touch a purpose, touch uh, something that uh, uh, he, he would endeavor to have changed. And that's what we are now as the New Testament church. We are those who that God speaks to, as God speaks to us, and as we say we're available, then that availability opens up an incredible door to us. Looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I think it's important to touch base. We read out of this chapter last week, we talked about uh, the second Adam. We talked about Jesus being that second Adam and, and uh, where the first Adam, you know, sinned and brought uh, separation to us. The second Adam came and died on a cross, the perfect sacrifice, so that we could have a renewed relationship. How many of you are happy today that Jesus went to the cross for you? Amen. And once again, it's a story of availability. I mean, we know that even in the Garden of Gethsemane, that Jesus even said to his father, if this cup could pass from me, if there could be any other way to make such a great sacrifice, do it now, do it quick, because I'm about ready to face something that no man would want to ever go through. But how many of you realize that uh, a lot of times in our life, it's because of what we have went through uh, uh, has made us to who we are today. Amen. Would you agree with that? Because of what we've went through has helped us to become what we are today. And so when we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we, we have to understand that he was obtaining something for us through that. Now, we all know that one of the things that came forth from that was is that we would have a place for our sins to be forgiven. And that's a beautiful thing. Because as I've said multiple times from this pulpit, the greatest miracle is not a hand being restored, blind eyes being opened, all of those things which are great miracles, but the greatest miracle is when a person's spirit connects with God. And once that happens, it opens up, uh, makes so many things available to you from heavenly places that you can use to operate while you're here on earth. You know, the, the other thing that we know that transpired because of that is, is that uh, we're no longer under the law. We're no longer under a set of rules, but we're under a place of grace. And because we're under that place of grace, the one who extends that grace opens up his 
life to us. And because of that, we can then stand stronger. We can continue to be forgiven. How many of you are glad that grace operates in your life today, man? I know that I am. Because as I continue to push forward to that place that God wants me to be, I, I, I was interested when Jack said, we don't know what's going to happen 25 years or 50 years from now. Well, I'd like to kind of rephrase that. We ain't got no idea what's going to happen 25 minutes to 50 minutes in the environment that we live in these days. It would be nice to be able to think 25 years, goodness sakes, babe, we'll be 84 years old in 25. Bill, that's being a young man, right? 84, that's a young man. Amen. 84, that's a young man. But when you think about that idea of, you know, uh, looking ahead into your future and what it has in store for you, we, uh, we know that's important, but we need to be captivated by the moment. We need to be captivated by the things that God is doing and saying. So in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, by which you are also saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to those scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, and then by the twelve. Here's kind of a depiction of proof of the resurrection. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God. I am what I am. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, that fits you too. That fits you too. But by the grace of God, can somebody say amen today? I feel like I need a seventh inning stretch already this morning. Come on now. Amen. Amen and amen. Hallelujah, for I am the least of these, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. What happened is, is Paul's talking about his encounter on the road to Damascus. And, you know, the greatest thing uh, that no one can ever take away from you is that encounter. How many of you can remember that time that you were touched in a way by God that, number one, you'll never forget it. And number two, no one could ever talk you out of what you know about God. See, that's what an encounter is. There's a place where where God touches you in such an amazing and powerful way that you say, first of all, wow, I believe. And second of all, no matter what the circumstances are, that encounter changes you for all of eternity. 
Well, I was just bound and determined the first time I came to Redeemer that the first encounter I would have is Pastor Jarvis pointing out that I was a sinner to the entire congregation. Amen. So I was sitting about back where Heather was, but Heather, I wouldn't have been sitting upright. I was leaning over and it wasn't because I was trying to be cool. It was because I didn't want to be noticed. Amen. And so but the reality is, is this is that God notices God notices us everywhere we are, everything we do, everywhere we go. And it was just a few short years after that, that I had an encounter with God that I would never forget. It would change me for all of eternity and bring me to the place to where I am now. These encounters like that, these power encounters are made available to you. They're brought to you by Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And because of those things, all he's looking for us to be is available. And then all of those things that he paid for the price for become ours. Now, it says in verse 12, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, this, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we of all men are most pitiable. In other words, what we base what we believe on is because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The doors that are open to us to do what we do now are because he is no longer dead, he is alive, and all of the promises that he made to us, they are now, everybody say, available. They are available to us. And who are they available to? Those who make themselves available. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And yesterday in, or yesterday, last week in my message, I said this message is for two people. Two, two different groups of people. The first group of people is those who believe. Those who uh, have trusted Jesus Christ as their personal savior, those who have said yes to him. And then, of course, I said, and the second group of people are for those who have never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And so today I'm continuing to talk to those of you who have made that commitment because that commitment is just the first stage of where God would ultimately want to have you to be. In John chapter 20, I love this text here. In verse 1, it says this, Then on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple. 
This other disciple most likely is John because these were the disciples that were closest to Jesus. And uh, so it's not a stretch to say the other disciple was John, whom Jesus loved and, and, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Now think of this already. She's not putting uh, the, the whole piece of the puzzle together. She thinks that his body has been abducted. Okay, and they've taken him somewhere else. Now, this in verse three says, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb. Listen to verse four, I love this. It says, they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. I mean, I can just see these two guys, like two kids racing to this tomb to see, and Peter's trying to keep up, but John's just, boo, he's just out there in front because there is something exciting and worth running to. And so we, we see, and it said, and he, uh, and he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, and yet he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb, and he saw that the clothes uh, uh, were lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and saw and believed yet as they uh, are for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead then the disciples went away again to their own homes okay so let's pick this up and uh, let's pick this up in verse 19 it says then the same day that evening being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for what? Fear of who? The Jews. Why? Because these same Jews were the ones that just uh, were the ones that got their their boss bumped off, for lack of a better term. These these were the people who caused all the problem uh, uh, with, it, with Herod. These are the ones that, you know, uh, got the crowd to chant Barabbas and not Jesus. So these were uh, the ones that, that they feared. What did they fear? Well, they feared that their life was now in danger. They feared that their life was now in danger. And in the same way, and ultimately they were right, and when their lives ultimately played out, all of them pretty much died a martyr's death. But they were fearful at that moment because of all of the turmoil that rested in their, the place that they were. And it says, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. Why would he say such a thing? Peace be with you. Because he was well aware of the turmoil. I say to you all today, peace be with you. I'm well aware of all the turmoil that's going on. But if we're going to make ourselves available like these uh, disciples, soon to be apostles, were going to make themselves available, we cannot be motivated out of fear. 
We can't be motivated out of fear of, of, of what uh, something is being said. We can't be motivated out of fear because of what's going on around us in society. We can't be motivated out of fear and hiding in a room because it makes us unavailable for the things that God would have in store for us. Listen, we're watching that transpire around the world. It's interesting when we took our trip to Burundi, when we are in a, our first stop, whether it's Amsterdam, it might be Paris, it might be Nairobi, it, this time was Addis Ababa. Whenever we're in those areas, we ultimately see multiple groups of missionaries who are out doing the work in the field. They might be 20 teenagers from Boise, Idaho. They might be 15 men from Abilene, Texas. They might be a group of women from Portland, Maine. But there's groups that have assembled uh, to do the work in the kingdom of God and normally and naturally Naturally, they are assembled in all of these places that are stopovers because they too are trying to get to the place to where they can do God's work. But that was not the case. Why? Because there has been a difficulty that has rested not just on the United States, but across the entire world. But there has to become a time when you set yourself out to be available. And let God choose what your destiny's going to be. If we choose our destiny, we're never going to do the difficult things that God calls us to do because it's going to ultimately demand something that is beyond your flesh, beyond your capability, whether it's resources. The first time that Jesus went in front of the disciples and said, uh, uh, you know, why do you worry about food? Why do you worry about clothes? Why do you worry about the things that you wear? Are you not more valuable than all of these things? Why do you worry about provision? The first thing that comes to, to, to come against people is usually just that very thing because we are possessions oriented as a people. And so if something is gonna rock our ability to connect or create possession, then there becomes a fear that comes into us like God is not able to provide. And so when we look at the different aspects of fear, they can come in a million different forms. Do you have the vaccine? Do you not have the vaccine? Are you wearing a mask? Are you not wearing a mask? All of these things uh, uh, are taking root in our society and creating a great amount of fear, not just in the people of society, but in the church itself. And so when it comes to availability, we have multi uh, there are multitudes of things that come against us. When we get into that place of fear, we look at what happened in the boat, the second place that Jesus said, ye of little faith, because the boat was rocking. And how many of you would say society is rocking right now? I mean, we, we would have to agree with that. And we look at that place of where we are, whether it's in a boat on a sea, being tossed about by a storm, or just being shot down by your neighbor, shot down by your family, shot down by your friends, shot down by your Christian counterparts because of the place that you want to make yourself available and the things that you would like to do. So we see just like 
these who were assembled in that room, locked in. They were locked in for this time. Right after uh, the crucifixion of Jesus, they hadn't moved into the reality of the resurrection. But let me just say this to you. Jesus is looking to move into your locked room, those chambers of your life that you have locked because of whatever reason that you have locked them. And he's looking to move in on your deal, your life. Isn't it interesting here that this particular uh, situation uh, that there's uh, multiple ways that this is, is, is described, but what's happening here, the description of what's going on is Jesus waltzed in, whether it was through a wall, whether it was just coming, just boom, it was here. There was no knocking on a door. There was no opening. And I think there's a reason for that. Because I think Jesus wanted to show his disciples the supernatural side of him that he had talked and demonstrated for all of those days that he was with them. And so I don't know if he just like, you know, you'll see it in a movie, a guy will come through a wall and you'll just see his body morph in there. I don't know how he did it, but it caught their attention. One of the translations said that Jesus appeared and they were all afraid. Okay, and so that's why Jesus is saying, peace be with you. And I think when Jesus wants to enter into that space of your life that is motivated by fear, the first thing that he wants to say to you is peace be with you. Peace be with you. Be still. Be relaxed. Don't get into the place of, of embracing the turmoil to the, to the position to where it negates everything that you know by faith. And we're going to be continually moving into places the longer that we are alive on this earth that are going to challenge that place of not only our position with Jesus, but what we're ultimately going to do for the kingdom. And so... When we think about availability, when we just think about being available to God, I mean, Jack and Sandy are just a great example of that. And I didn't even think about their video before this, but that's what they were. They were just simply two young folks who just made themselves available. God moved them to Elam out of Elam. He moved them to HPIM out of HPIM. He moved them to Lima, New York and uh, Living Waters. And now because they want to remain available, he's moving them to Denver, Colorado. These are not all simple steps of movement, but they are all just a symbol of availability. God is looking for the available. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, listen to this, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. The message has never changed. Whether you read it in Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples out of all nations of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. The message from Jesus at that initial moment is the same as it is now. 
go. Do the things that I have done. Do the things that I've showed you to do. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Key, critical part of moving into the development of who you're going to be as a New Testament church believer. Why is that? Well, because you can't run your life if you're a man on just testosterone. If you're a female, you can't run your life just on those things that you've seen and testimonies that you've heard. There's got to be a place in our development that everything we do and, and we see and we hear is filtered through the Holy Spirit living within us. The Holy Spirit is that power source, that structure that Jesus has given us to be able to carry out the things that he has called us to do. John chapter 14, do you remember that? First of all, it's let not your heart be troubled. You who believe in me, believe also in God. Uh, I've go to prepare a place for you. That's a beautiful thing to know. How many of you are glad that Jesus has prepared a place for you in heavenly places? Amen. But Jesus isn't stopping there. That's not the whole thing. And, you know, uh, you know, doubting Thomas, who we're going to read here in just a minute, he said, where do you go? How do we know? How can we get to that place? And and, you know, and and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And he's saying, no matter what you make yourself available for, you must have faith to believe that I walk with you, I talk with you, and I make things happen through you. When we read Romans 8, 11, we read that, you know, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the spirit that lives inside of you. Why would Jesus want that spirit living inside of you? Because to become available for what he has called us to do, it's going to require something that's not capable to be done in our flesh. We know this. Peter is the prime example of this. All of the moxie, all of the power, all the testosterone, all of those things of being Jesus' right-hand man. But Jesus said to him, you will deny me. You'll deny me three times. No, I won't. That'll never happen. It's the same thing that we say to ourselves in our mind. If Jesus were to call me, if he were to ask me to do this, if he were to ask me to minister to the person at the deli at Meyer, if he were to ask me to say something to the guy getting gas at Speedway, I would do it. I, I know I would do it until the time comes. Until the opportunity is, is presented before you, that's when you have to determine your true availability. You see, kingdom availability is not what you proclaim with your mouth, it's what you do with your actions and your life. See, kingdom availability, because of the magnitude of what God wants to do, because of how amazing it is when you learn how to not only be available, but to say yes until you get to that place. It takes a real pre preparation for the decision that you ultimately make. And we know that in Peter's life, 
we know that he failed three times. Amen. And so how many of you are glad that failure isn't a default to throw you out of the things that God wants to do? Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that David was called a man after God's own heart, knowing that his whole ordeal with Bathsheba? See, if we were in today's culture and David lived, David would be a part of the cancel culture. He would be thrown out, not just because the world would want to throw him out, the church would want to eliminate him as well. What about Paul? I mean, the, the, the church and, and the people with Paul, they were trying to eliminate him because he was a persecutor, actually was responsible for killing Christians. Amen. And so, but what do we see Paul doing? Writing the majority of the New Testament. I guess the good news to these two stories is, is maybe you're not as bad as you think you are. Maybe you're not as bad as other people make you out to be. Maybe your past is not the thing that should keep you from saying, yes, I'm available when you know what others in the kingdom have done. But yet God has used them in an extraordinary fashion. Aren't you glad that Peter got the bat and even though he had struck out three times, he went back to the plate to swing again? There's so many people in the kingdom who have struck out several times that they're afraid to get back in the box and swing again. Well, I want to release the anointing of swing again in this congregation today. And for all of those of you who are watching, swing again. Just because you failed one time does not eliminate you from the place that God ultimately wants to use you because it's in the midst of our failures that we usually learn where God wants to take us. Mm. But the enemy over and over and over and over again, he just wants to replay all of those things for you. And when he had said this, verse 22, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 23, it says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Look at verse 24. Tammy, can you grab me my water, please? Verse 24, or not verse, yeah, verse 24. It says, now Thomas, y'all with me? Say, now Thomas, Thomas. called the twin of one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And so he said to them, unless I see, and then he has a list of things. Listen, people limit their availability. They hear all of the amazing things that are going on, the things that get them excited, but and then they start putting preconditions on what they will do, when they will do it, why they will do it, how they will do it, for who they will do it for. Availability in the kingdom says that no matter what the circumstance is, I step to the plate. No matter how much I've failed, I keep, continue to step forward. No matter what's asked of me, I will choose to say yes. And it takes a practice, a few times of continually saying yes to watch what God opens up for you. 
unless I see his hands, the point, the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand in the side. I will not believe. Dang. I mean, what else do you want Jesus to do? Jumping jacks, 50 push-ups? Do you want him to raise the dead? Do you want, what more do you want him to do? And I'm asking you, what more do you want him to do? What more can he do than what you already know he has done? That's a serious question. What more does Jesus have to do in your life for you to activate the I'm available mode for the kingdom. Because if what he has already done is not enough, you have to ask yourself, why is it not enough? You have to check yourself to say, what do I really believe? Now, there's nothing wrong with the idea of saying, hey, I'm available, but I have no idea how this would happen. That's a perfect place for you to be. Listen, I, you know, whatever God would say he wants me to do, I'll take the step forward. And that's that's the only place you need to be. So Thomas put all of these stipulations in place. What are your stipulations? I know that for Tammy and I, when God was looking for us to be available, it was, will you teach high school students? And for two weeks, we vacillated with that and then finally came to the place that we, would say, that we said, why would we not teach high school students? Why would we not do what our pastor, who's uh, the head of this church, has asked us to do? Why? What is in us that's saying we're checking our availability and we'll get back to you? Hmm. I bet you Jesus is sick of hearing about how we'll get back to him when he asks us to do something. I mean, I think this is a real question we have to ask, our, ask ourselves. What hinders our availability? Because if we don't face the elephants in the room, then the elephant consumes the room. Why do they use the, why don't they say, wow, you know, we need to speak to the squirrel in the room? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I should have used another one. That's right. I shouldn't have used squirrely. Okay. Uh, you know, we were, uh, we were in Gatega spending the, the night there and went to the restaurant and uh, out of nowhere came the rat in the room, literally right by us, big old guy. We had to make a choice. Were we hungry enough to make ourselves available to eat the rice and beans that came out of the rat infested kitchen? Or were we just gonna go and guess what we did? We made ourselves available to the rice that was in the rat infested kitchen. I'm not talking about a squeaky little mouse. I'm talking about a guy with muscles and a tail that long. Okay? <laughs> Listen. And our food, here was the interesting thing. It took forever 
for our food to get there. So somebody mentioned it's probably because it took him forever to catch our meat. <laughs> it is. And you know what? Until you make yourself available, you ain't got no story like that to tell. And see, so many people want to live vicariously through your grandson who plays basketball, your, you know, your neighbor who's on the pro tour, you know, just th that thing. You can't live vicariously through him. You have to live with him. You have to live with him in you. You can't just talk about the stories of somebody else. You've got to create your own. And that's what availability does. It enables us to create our own story. So why do they say we want to face the elephant in the room? Because when the elephant is in the room, people are scattering and chaos is happening. And if an elephant was in this room, uh, he might bounce off the walls. As a matter of fact, he might even just go through the wall. It's hectic chaos. That's why they say we've got to address the elephant in the room. That's what our spirits look like when we're being challenged to become available. There's like an elephant in that place of your heart that is bouncing all around, causing havoc in your body. And all God is looking for us to do is say yes and become available. After eight days, his disciples again were inside and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the door being shut again, and, and stood in the midst of them and said it again, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, now how did he know this? See, this is the cool thing. If Jesus wants you to become available for wherever he wants you to go, he's already put it in, in, he's already put it in motion. I have came to the conclusion after 30 years that I am not nearly as smart as I think I am. And the great things that have happened in my life in the kingdom are because I just simply said yes. Simply said yes. Now, uh, reach your, your fingers in here, Thomas. Look at my hands. Reach out your, your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord, my God. When's the last time that God has revealed himself to you in a place that superseded your doubt and you were able to say, My Lord and my God. Now listen to what Jesus says. I love, he's always got the right response. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Now listen to this. Mm, this is, if this doesn't get you juiced, I, I, there's nothing. I'm just going to close my book. I'm walking out the door. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Thomas stuck his fingers in his side, did all that stuff. He got to see Jesus. But this is for you out here. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet they have believed. Mm. Wow. 
Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they have believed. Listen, when God was pulling on Isaiah, and I want you to read on your own Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Write this down. When, when God is pulling on Isaiah, he pours out a list of seven verses unto Isaiah about a need. And what was Isaiah's response? Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. When we look at the first two chapters of Nehemiah, and I want you to read those for yourself, we see that when, when the people came back and told Nehemiah of the condition of the place that God had restored and opened back up to them, he, his heart was touched in a way that said, if God restored Jerusalem back to us, how can we let it remain in the state that it's currently in? And he went to the king. His heart was poured out. He fasted and he prayed. And he said, I've got to be the one that puts the restoration of Jerusalem back into play. And he basically saw a need and was going to meet a need because of something that God showed him. When we look at Esther and we know that the, the, the people of, uh, uh, of her people, their lives were in the balance. And God and Mordecai came and said to Esther, look. You are the one that got positioned to be in the place that you are. I know that's unfortunate for you because you told me the king has to call you in. But here's what's going to happen. You're either going to go in and die or you're going to die because you didn't go in. You've got no choice. That was really Esther's choice. For some of the people that God calls us to minister to, you're either going to make yourself available to minister to them or their outcome, their eternal outcome is in play. And if you don't believe and think that way, then you're letting a lot of good people find their way to the pathway of hell. Because that's what it means to be available. And so Esther said those great words. She said, I'm going to go position myself in front of the king. And if I perish, then I perish. If I die, then I die. Would you stand with me today? I want to ask you something today. And Judy, put up Romans 13, 14. Put up Romans 13, 14, because this is what God has been challenging me with for the last several weeks. What is keeping you from becoming available to the things that God would have you to do? Has he not done enough for you? Are you waiting for him to do something else? Well, as soon as, you know, he changes my job, as soon as... Uh, uh, he, he helps me with this as soon as, listen, there's nothing more that he can do for you that's going to be any greater than what he has already done. Trust me. 
All, the, everything that he has done is set in place for you to get to the next dimension of your availability in the kingdom. I was reading through the book of Romans and I came to this scripture. In Romans 13, 14, uh, there's a string of texts. So I'm going to read 11 and do this. Knowing the time that now is the high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore cast off all the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of God. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness and in lewdness and in lust, not in strife and in envy. But listen to what Paul says. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. You know, I was thinking, I've been thinking on this scripture for months, and I, I talked about it in our Nation to Nation class. Think of all the provision that you make for your flesh. Look at your, just look at Outlook. Look at your calendar. Look at, look at everything that you, you have in your life. And you're going to find out that 99% of the things that are in your schedule are something to do about the provision for your flesh. It's no wonder that it's hard to make an adjustment to become available for the things that God would have us to do. Now, I want to challenge you to start including God in your daytimer. You say, Pastor, that's silly. No, it's not. No, it's not. If you have to get up at 545 to be with him, set your alarm. Set your reminder. Set your calendar. If you want a, a 10 a.m. reminder of who he is, set your alarm so you can pray at 10 a.m. If you need a 2 o'clock adjustment on your break, set your alarm to read two chapters of the Word. And prepare yourself, begin to prepare yourself to make provision for your spirit so that you can become available when he calls your name. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the opportunity to talk about your word. I thank you for the opportunity to see that your word is crystal clear. As the Father has sent me, now I send you. I thank you for the past uh, people in, in the Word that have had to make themselves available to do the things that moved the kingdom forward. I thank you for Moses. I thank you for Abraham. I thank you for Daniel. I thank you for Peter. That although he failed three times, he still preached the first viable message in the New Testament. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're leading us and calling us to do. And Father, we thank you for this day because it is an honor to be a kid in your kingdom ready to say yes for whatever you call us to do. So, Father, bless Redeemer's Church. Let it fulfill the functions that you've given us to do. 
Father, bless the new beginning of Life Church and Trinity and the goals and the destiny that you've given them to do. Father, bless Jack and Sandy Hempfling and everything that you've set forward for them to do in their hearts to see the Muslim nations transformed. And Father, bless each of us for everything that you have called us to do and that we would say yes. So Father, we thank you for just the beauty of our relationship that was opened up through your resurrection from the dead, no longer separated, but always joined as one. And Father, today we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.